Awesome. Very good. Okay, so hi everyone. Oh, that's very enthusiastic. I love that. Um, I'm well, thank you, Gabriel. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm guessing most of you know who I am. I'm Lindsay, for the one or two people who don't know. And I have been asked to give you guys a message this evening. So, thank you, Amen, indeed. So obviously you can see on the screen, um, we're going to be talking about loving our enemies. Um, and I'm not exactly sure how God like brought this topic to my attention this week, but like I honestly can't remember how we we got on this topic and I kind of wish we had it because this is a really difficult thing to preach on because if you're preaching something, you kind of want to be living it out really well, right? <laughs> I'm not great at this one. So I've been preaching to myself all week as I prepare this. So <laughs> be kind. So um, next, oh, I can do this myself, can't I? Yeah, awesome, story time. So... <laughs> Um, I have a story or two, we'll see, about loving our enemies or not. Um, now, most of you guys are aware that I have just escaped Victoria, okay? So there is a particular guy in charge down there who isn't my favorite and isn't a lot of people's favorite. We're not going to name names, but I think you guys maybe know who. And earlier this year, he fell down the stairs and broke some bones. And that day, when I heard that news, I kind of wished that he'd fallen a bit harder, to be honest. <laughs> I know that sounds terrible, and it's not, ex not at all what, you know, Jesus wants us to do, and not at all what I'm about to preach to you guys, but I just want to let you guys know that I'm not perfect, and we got a, a long way to go to grow, okay? Um, now, also, about a year ago, um, I had been living essentially by myself during, you know, a year-long lockdown. And then in about November last year, actually on my birthday, yeah, um, God made it pretty clear that he wanted me to move in with some people. Now, the problem with this idea was that the people he wanted me to move in with were some people who I used to be friends with. And I had decided that this one particular person wasn't really emotionally safe for me to be around. And instead of dealing with it in a very good way and, and having a conversation and, and, you know, trying to work things out, I just cut this person out of my life. And that's, I'm really hoping I've learned from these lessons and I'm not going to do it again. But um, I didn't deal with it very well. And I kind of viewed this person as my enemy. And so when God communicated to me that he wanted me to move in with this person and a couple of other people. I was like, I don't like that idea at all. <laughs> um, but because she and I both wanted to be following God's will, we decided we would try to make it work. And for, the part, for like the next 10 months until I moved up here, we lived together and sometimes she would be more mature and sometimes I would be more mature and those times didn't always, you know, overlap very well. And so we struggled a lot to live together in the same house. Um, yeah, so we were kind of enemies living in the same house. And one thing I've really learnt about loving your enemies and living with your enemies um, is this thing that God wants us to move in with the people 
that we don't agree with. Now, this book um, that I'm promoting behind me is by one of my very favorite authors. She is Brene Brown. She is a social science researcher. I've forgotten exactly what she is. Um, but she's written a bunch of amazing books that have been literally life-changing for me. And this particular one isn't my favorite one, to be honest. But as I was preparing for this, God reminded me of a particular chapter. And that chapter, you can see it, it's the second line there. It's called, People Are Hard to Hate Close Up, Move In. Now, this book is mostly talking about politics, funnily enough, um, and people's like ideologies on more of a societal level and how people societally are moving apart in different groups. And what her research of discussing these ideas with thousands of people and, and finding the patterns in their stories, what she's learned from this is that when we have one view that's different from another person or another group's view, it's very easy to want to completely polarize and keep moving further and further away from that group of people who are wrong. <laughs> because these are my views over here, that makes me right and they have hurt me, and there's a lot of pain attached. And so what God is, what God had shown me this year, and what her research is showing is, it's very important for us as a species to move in and to come closer to each other and to make space for each other and to try really hard to actually care about those people that we think are our enemies. So I've been living this out this year, and it's been a struggle, I promise. This is not an easy thing to preach by any means. Anyway, so I want to um, just get us oriented with the passage that we're going to be looking at today. So we're looking at Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. That's right. Um, and I'm just going to read this out. Just so everyone's on the same page, I don't want to assume everyone has read this, you know, this week. So let's start. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other one also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Okay, so that's where we're starting tonight. The big idea that I want you guys to get by the end of this is that loving our enemies is an indication of our identity in Christ. So if you can try to hold this big idea in your mind as we move through the rest of the chat, okay. 
So a little bit of context about what's going on, where is this passage found, and what is the ideology floating around in the world that Jesus is kind of trying to subvert. So this guy who's up on the screen, his name is Lysias, or Lysias, I'm not exactly sure. He's some Greek guy from about 400 years before the time of Jesus. So what he is writing here is basically what everyone believed back then. He says, I consider it established that one should do harm to one's enemies and be of service to one's friends. Now, if you think about it, I'm pretty sure that's exactly the way everyone in this world thinks today. I don't think that two and a half thousand years has changed much. Okay, so we're starting basically on the same footing here that Jesus is speaking into. So we're going to go back over the verses little bit by little bit now. We've read the big chunk and now we're going to read them one bit by another bit. So actually we're going back a little bit here and I want to give you extra context here. So who Jesus is speaking to is his disciples in front of a great number of other people. So he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So these were people who were troubled by impure spirits and they were cured and people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said... All right, so this is where we find the Beatitudes in Luke. So this is, uh, Jesus has just called his own disciples, his 12, and now he's coming out to speak to a whole bunch of people. He's got his close friends, his, his disciples, the people who are there to learn from him and to become like him. And then there's a whole bunch of other people who are there for entertainment, essentially, and for healing, obviously. So, yeah, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and disciples, I want to just stop on that word for a minute. A disciple is essentially, yeah, this person who is a student. They're there to follow somebody around and learn literally everything that this person does. Um, I was going through a bit of discipleship training earlier this year, and something that I heard was a little bit challenging for my mind, but... Essentially, um, the students of the rabbis back then, the disciples of the rabbis, would copy so much of what their rabbi did that they would even go to the toilet in the same way that their rabbi did. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I don't really want to imagine it too much. But they copied literally every action, every thought, every prayer, the way they ate, the way they washed their hands, everything. And so... If Jesus is calling us to be his disciples, any person who considers them to be an active Christian, not a nominal Christian who just says, oh, I'm a Christian and actually doesn't work on that basis and live in that way, but somebody who's actually in this relationship with Jesus and wanting to grow, we need to be following literally everything that Jesus says and does. So he's also talking to his disciples in front of the multitude. So he's talking to these people who are here, to, to learn, and he's also got this, this extra group who are there to kind of watch and see what's going on and see whether they actually want to know much more about this guy. So 
when we hear that word listening, it's expected that the disciples are listening intently and paying close enough attention to understand and take action. The word listen back in those days, especially in Hebrew, I know that this is written in Greek, but um, words back then are not like words today in English, at least. I'm not exactly sure how it works in Serbian. I haven't learned much Serbian uh, myself, but um, the words back then had a lot of richness to them. In Hebrew, especially, there might be one word with like 15 different meanings, and you'd have to kind of pick which one you're working with. And I'm pretty sure it's quite similar with Greek. So this richness meant that it wasn't just listening and taking in auditory signals into your brain. That's not what listening is. Listening is actually hearing somebody speak, thinking about it, and allowing it to become a part of your actions and those actions to become part of who you are. So it's the full spectrum of, of what this person is telling you. You're not just taking it in and hearing it and letting it go out the other ear. It actually has to become a part of your daily life, okay? So these disciples are listening and paying enough attention that they are going to take action on what Jesus is saying. But it also indicates <laughs> that there's this whole, whole bunch of other people there who are just being entertained. They're not taking action. So when Jesus says, but, you, but to you who are listening, I say, and then he, he expounds on the Beatitudes and then everything else that we're about to look at here. Yeah. So I want to zoom in on one of the things that he says a, a couple of lines later. He says, if somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn to, them, uh, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, I want to be very clear <laughs> that Jesus is not saying allow people to physically abuse you, okay? God's not about physical abuse in any sense, okay? But what is happening here is it was actually interesting for me to find out that a slap in the face up until about 150 years ago, and this has been for thousands of years, a person would take their little white glove or whatever it was, and they would slap you in the face as an insult if they were really angry at you, okay? And that would be taken as an insult. It wasn't like using their words to hurt you and you know swearing at you and all that kind of stuff. This was the way that they did it. They slapped you in the face very gently. It might sting a little bit. It wouldn't really leave a mark. It wasn't physical abuse. It was an insult. And Jesus is saying here, if somebody is slapping you on one cheek, if he's, if he's insulting you in one way, let him insult you again and don't insult them back. Don't retaliate. Don't stoop to that level. Another thing he says, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. I find this really interesting because the world that we live in is so economically driven. Um, everything that we do is to make our own lives better, right? We go and get a job to make our lives and our families' lives better. We don't do that, you know, at least in, in the, the greater population of the world. People don't do that to make other people's lives better. They don't. They go, they get their paycheck, and they come home. They might love their job, but that's not what they're there for. So in the search to get our own needs met, we need to let go of self-centeredness and learn to be others-centered. Jesus is saying, 
Don't be so focused on your own personal needs. If somebody else needs that, if they ask for that, if they take it from you by force, let them have it. Don't retaliate. Don't demand it back. Don't go and take them to court and say, hey, I, that's mine. You just stole it. Give it back. He's saying, just let it be. Obviously, they feel the need that they you know, need it. So he's saying, basically rely on God for your earthly goods and your needs. You know, Jesus says that we can get our needs met by God providing for us. We don't need to go out and demand and take things by force ourselves. That's not trusting in God. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, we've all heard this one, but I think we've all heard this as kids, you know, trying to be told to be nice to somebody else. Don't hit them in the head with a stick or... I don't know, <laughs> whatever you can think of that you were told this as a child to stop you from doing that thing, right? But I found this is actually applicable on a more emotional level. If we can learn to be more empathic, and I need to unpack that word for you guys because when I learned what empathy is, um, it really blew my mind. So we all have heard the word sympathy, but empathy is a little bit more mysterious, I find. So sympathy is the idea of, oh, you just, you know, your dog just died. That must be, you know, terrible. You know, if you haven't experienced your own dog dying, or if you haven't experienced loss, then all you can say is, I guess that sucks for you. But empathy is when we are able to connect with that other person's emotion. It's when we can say, you know, I see that you've experienced loss, and even though I haven't experienced, you know, my dog dying, I have experienced loss in another way. A person has died, or, you know, I've lost my job, or whatever, and I can connect to you emotionally. So that's what empathy is in a nutshell. It's a bit bigger than that, but when it comes to people being angry with us, and we're talking about enemies here, right? How can we be empathic with our enemies? That's just a little bit like a no-go zone, right? So if we have somebody coming at us who is angry or has not got our best intentions at heart, how can we be empathic with that? Going back to the book that I recommended you guys, it goes into this idea a lot deeper about... Okay, there's a child there, okay. Um, sorry. About having people who their ideas and their views are different from ours and moving in. Remember, we need to move in. God is calling us to move in, to be empathic and to say, hey, I don't understand why you're behaving like this, why you are attacking me, why are you, you know, treating me like this, but not to do it in like this angry sort of tone, but say, I literally just don't understand. Are we able to have a simple conversation to be on the same page. Maybe we actually have similar goals in mind, but are we just miscommunicating and misunderstanding and, and just coming at this issue from two very different perspectives and, and applying different tactics to get to this point? So honestly, this, this point is probably the hardest one for me to talk about, <laughs> um, to be empathic 
and to understand and to do to others as you would have them do to you, to try to, to have that perspective of this person is a person that Jesus loves. And yeah, they're not treating me very nicely and I'm probably not treating them very nicely, but how can we try to understand each other better? How can I at least make the effort to understand that person better and what they're trying to get at? So I wanna leave it at that one for there. Okay, so another one for treat others the way you would wanna be treated is stand up for the oppressed. If you were experiencing oppression, you would need someone else to stand up for you. I think about this in, um, in more broad societal uh, sense. We have a lot of people in this world who are a lot more disadvantaged than we are, especially coming from Western countries. Um, there are people in this world who work in you know, sweatshops, who are various types of slaves around the world. And those people literally cannot do anything to stand up for themselves. If we were in that position, wouldn't we want somebody to stand up for us and make things better for us because we have no resources to do so? So I think it's really important that we actually are more mindful of the fact that there are people out there who need our help and that we actually do have the ability to help them. We have God on our side and he wants us to set the oppressed free, right? So it's really important that if you see someone who is oppressed, whether that is like they have depression or some kind of mental illness, how can you help that person? Can you see somebody who is experiencing unethical treatment in the workplace, um, whether that is in your workplace or somewhere across the world? How can you stand up for those people who are oppressed? Jesus is saying we need to stand up for the people who you know, we wouldn't want to be in their shoes, so we need to help those people. Even if they are coming from a country, perhaps, that we think is an enemy. I know we don't have war on our doorsteps, but one day we might. How are we going to treat those people who come from those places who are also oppressed, who are oppressing us? Don't expect to be served, but trust that God's got you as you serve others. Okay, so this comes back to that idea of not wanting to demand things back, right? When we are treating others as we want to be treated, that might take a little bit more resource than we're willing to give. That might actually take all of the resource that we have on hand. But God is asking us to do that. And that's like a really challenging thing. And I'll be honest, I haven't done this as much as I'd like to say I have. But at the same time, if God is showing you someone that needs help, needs your service, needs your resources, don't hold back, be generous. Then he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. Now, I've obviously made even sinners bold here, and you can see it's there three times. Jesus is trying to make the point here, or he is making the point, that to be righteous and to be his disciples, we have to come up to this high calling that he calls us to, right? We can't just be like the rest of the world who 
just do things in an economic sort of way where we're going to get as much back or more than we you know, started with. We need to be the generous ones here. That's what he's calling us to. There needs to be a going beyond the norm to be extraordinary love to those around us, even in the face of outright persecution. If we have an enemy who's persecuting us, but they need help and they need to see God's love, that is our responsibility to do that because God's put us in that sphere. It's a bit mind-blowing, but try to, try to take it. Then he says, but love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. So remember that our big idea is that loving our enemies is an indication of our identity in Christ. Here we see that Jesus is saying, if you do this, if you love your enemies, if you give to them, if you do good to them, if you do everything without expecting anything back, your reward will be that you are considered the children of the Most High. You will be adopted into his family. He is kind to the ungrateful, remembering that's us. We are the ungrateful and wicked. And we need to extend that kindness to the others in our lives or in our world who are also ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. If we are a part of Jesus's family and God the Father's family, it's expected that we would have the same character as him. We would have the same characteristics as him. If we are being brought up as little children in God's family, in his household, then we're gonna be just like him. So if he is merciful and he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked, then so are we. Loving our enemies is a character-based indication or assessment that we have been remade in the image of God and adopted into his family. It's just an indication of what's already happening. It is evidence of our transformation and the sanctification process in Christ. It is evidence of salvation and discipleship, but it is not a workspace salvation. So I just wanna be clear that we're not doing this to get our own salvation. We're doing this because we have salvation already. So if it's already part of who we are, but it's something that we struggle with because we're human and we live in sinful bodies, the only way that we can do this and to love others is by inviting the Holy Spirit to do it in us, to others. We need to have a daily invitation to the Holy Spirit to say, hey, I need, to, I need your help to love others because that's what Jesus expects of me. That's what it's expected in this family. And I'm really not good at it. <laughs> so Holy Spirit, can you help me? And that's exactly what he's here for. He is to comfort, to guide, and, and to direct us in everything, right? So he can help us supernaturally be nice to other people, right? Loving our enemies and expecting nothing in return is a divine revolution against the workspace systems of man. We're going completely against the world in this. It showcases God's grace, mercy, and generous love 
towards those who not only do not deserve it, but often spit in his face. This is how we are to take the gospel to the world. And that's all I have for you tonight. Amen. Amen.